This is News Talk 980 CKNW. It has been 25 years since the L.A. riots, and if you remember them, then you remember they all stemmed from the acquittal of four white LAPD officers in the beating of Rodney King, and it happened in 1991. The riots took place during five days in the spring of 1992. More than 50 people died, more than 2,000 people were injured, and the damage was more than a billion dollars of buildings and such in the L.A. area. Well, George Garrett was sent to cover the riots. He was a reporter here at CKNW, and he joins us on the line now to look back at that experience. George, so great to have you with us. Good morning. Good morning, Jill. Thank you for having me on. Oh, Thank you for, for being here. 25 years. Uh, do you remember the moment uh, you were assigned and you were headed down to go to L.A.? Yes, I do, because our station manager at the time was uh, Doug, Huther- uh, Doug Rutherford, and he phoned me and he said, George, you know what you need? I said, what? He said, you need some time in the California sun. I said, oh, do you want me to cover the riots? He said, do you mind? I said, mind? When can I go? <laughs> so I was on my way <laughs> very and, quickly. And did you know the, the danger or what you were walking into at the point that you were sent down there? Oh, I've covered a lot of things over the years, and I never really thought of the personal danger. I, when I flew into Los Angeles, I can remember the the columns of black smoke from coming from everywhere. The whole city, it seemed, was on fire. Uh, there was true anger like there had never been before. When the verdict came out of, of acquittal of those, of those uh, police officers, uh, the taxi drivers, many of them black, were so enraged they stop their cabs right in the middle of the street in traffic and commiserate with each other. And the next thing you know, there was looting taking place, fires set in stores. It was pandemonium uh, over a very wide area of Los Angeles. And as I arrived and rented a car, I heard on the radio that I couldn't go anywhere. They'd imposed a curfew. So I got to my hotel, and I really couldn't cover much until the next morning except what I could see on TV or, or hear on the radio down there. And when you went back out into it to cover it, at what point or was there a point when you realized your personal safety was in, was, was in danger as well? Well, I had a warning. I was pretty naive. Um, Gladys Johnson, who was then the producer of Bill Good's show, said, George, can you find out what the churches are doing to deal with this situation, which I thought was a very good angle. So I drove into what I called found was the Western Avenue part of Los Angeles, and I pulled into a service station, but I had to wait until the old gentleman opened the gate for me. And I wasn't buying gas, but I just asked him a question. And the reason for the gate, by the way, going back and forth, was to prevent uh, theft of gas, known as of gas and dash. And uh, this uh, kind of an elderly black gentleman said, uh, I'd asked him if there was a church down there. And he said, yes, sir, about uh, three blocks down on this side of the street. And I said, thank you. And then very softly, he said, wouldn't go down there if I were you. And I just ignored him. I thought, well, I'll be fine. And I was on that street. There was a steel post on the sidewalk and not even a booth around it. That's where the telephone was. And I was on the air quite a bit uh, across western Canada, even into eastern Canada with our network. And I had an arrangement to go on live with Bill Good at 1230. Phoned in. Gladys uh, put me on hold. And um, four guys emerged from nowhere, and um, they said, that's your car? 
And I said, yes, meaning uh, my rental car, give me the keys. I said, no, give me the keys, no. And I was cradling my tape recorder and notebook and microphone and the telephone in my one hand. So my hands were full, waiting to go on the air. And this guy reached over and hung up the phone. And I thought, there goes my call to Canada. And um, he started uh, grabbing things. He grabbed my microphone and pulled it right out of the cord. And then the four of them backed me into a doorway of a store that had been burned and looted. The windows were all black. And uh, one of them hit me right full in the face, uh, I think with the mic in his, my mic in his hand. And uh, he just shattered my uh, upper jaw, which I didn't know at the time. But, man, did that hurt. I went down in a heap. And there was a guy across the street that also happened to be a black guy. And he yelled across. He said, are you all right? And as he yelled, the four guys took off. I guess they knew they weren't going to get my car. And... Uh, they took off. He came over, and he said, this shouldn't have happened. This shouldn't have happened. And he said, uh, is that your car? And I said, yes. He said, how about if I drive you to the hospital? My girlfriend will follow me in my car. And I said, please do. So he took me to a hospital, and uh, I had a lot of blood, of course. They cleaned me up, and they took x-rays, and then they gave me a copy of the x-rays, and I don't know how to read x-rays. What I didn't know was, I had a broken jaw. Wow. And, and what did you do next, then? What happened uh, the, for, for the rest of your time there? Well, I, I was kind of pretty nervous about going back to the hotel. I didn't know where it was. Uh, and I was, you know, uh, pretty shaken up. I phoned my wife immediately, and uh, she was a Jones, a hairdresser then. And uh, I was crying on the phone, and she said, I said, I've been assaulted. And she said, well, where are you? I said, I'm in a hospital. Which one? I said, I don't know. She said, put down the phone. Go and ask at the front desk the name of the hospital, then come back and tell me. And I thought, later on, I thought, how, you know, how controlled she was. You know, your husband phones you crying and says he's been assaulted, and she tells you how to get information. <laughs> <laughs> and then my concern was getting out of the hospital and up to my hotel, wherever that was, and I uh, asked the commissioner at the hospital if he could uh, perhaps arrange for a ride for me and that I would pay the taxi back for the whoever took me. And he said, I'm sorry, sir, I have no one and I can't leave. So I got in my car and I was very, very nervous. And as I drove along this Western Avenue, I waited till I saw a car window open and a white man behind the wheel at a traffic light and I said, which way to Century Boulevard? That's where my hotel was. He said, three blocks up, sir, just three lights, whatever it was, and you'll find it. So I was so relieved to get to the hotel. But I still felt an obligation to report what had happened, so including my own assault. So I ad-libbed the story into a tape recorder and uh, fed it down the line to NW. And what I didn't realize that uh, every time I spoke, I was spattering blood onto my notebook. And I thought, that's a good souvenir. Mm. So I kept it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And uh, and how long did you end up staying there? Uh, well, um, Gordon McDonald, uh, my boss at the time, wanted me to come to, uh, he wanted me to come down, he wanted to come down and bring me home. And I said, no, that's not necessary. And in the meantime, uh, Peter Montague was a friend of mine in the RCMP, the public relations guy at the time. He was in Los Angeles on another matter. 
and he could see how the Los Angeles police were just beating up on on the members of the public, black members of the public, treating them terribly, and he was just appalled. And when he heard that I'd been injured, he phoned his bosses in Vancouver, and he said, we've got to get George out of here. They were going to send a plane down. And uh, I convinced my boss that, you know, we should say thanks to the RCMP, that I could make my own way home. And, you know, I planned to just fly home myself the next day, but Gord came down to escort me. But he cost me a story, because we were driving past a church. There's all black people outside, and I thought, would that ever make a great tape if I could get a black choir singing and talk to some of the people from that community? And I said, let's stop and we'll do a tape here. And he said, no, George, we're going home. So that was it. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Uh, George, we only have a minute left, although we could talk on and on. Uh, I just want to mention you are writing a book about uh, your time as a reporter. I look forward to that uh, coming out. You have a book signing later today for another book you've written. And I want to make sure we mention you're also very involved. You mentioned your wife uh, in that story, but you're very involved in in Alzheimer's research and the big walk coming up. Yes, it's coming up uh, on uh, the week Sunday the first Sunday in May, and uh, I am particularly trying to help the walk in Surrey, White Rock, and North Delta, which takes place at Eagle Quest Golf Course, at registration at 9.30, and the walk at 10.30. We'd love to see people there. All right, George, a pleasure to chat with you this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joe. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.